We're going to move on to our message for this morning, and in a few moments I'll be asking you to open up to our scripture reading. But before we move to reading this passage or, or making our way through our text this morning, I'd like to begin this morning by asking a question. Asking a question that gets us to think about the attributes and the characteristics of God. And that question is actually the title that's listed in your bulletin. And that question is, is God just or gracious? Is God just or gracious? The word just very simply speaks of fairness. Receiving what is deserved. Being punished if you deserve to be punished. Getting the penalty or, or repercussions for your actions. The word gracious or its noun grace speaks of receiving something you don't deserve. I like the phrase undeserved favor to describe grace. So just speaks of being treated how you deserve and gracious speaks of being treated how you don't deserve. These two words seem to be opposing or conflicting, especially if they are said to be shown in the same person or being attributes of the same person. Kids and teens might be able to relate as if you think about your teachers at school. You think about a teacher who holds the rules, sometimes for some kids, and then other times maybe they let things slip for other kids. We might say that they have favorites or that they're being inconsistent as they change the way they treat their students. Adults might be able to relate if they just think about their boss. Maybe their boss does this. So how can someone treat people how they deserve, but at the same time treat them how they don't deserve? Is it possible, or is it either one or the other? That is what we're going to ask this morning concerning God. Is God just or gracious? And I believe as we consider 1 Kings 21 this morning, we find both attributes in God. God is not just one or the other, but he shows both of these ways of treating people and is not just choosing favorites, nor is he being consistent, inconsistent. So we're going to see how God is both just and gracious at the same time. As I've got the opportunity to preach, so sometimes in the evening, sometimes in the morning, I've been considering the life of Elijah and many of the things and events that are recorded concerning his life. And this morning, we're going to continue on in that study, and we're going to come to a text, 1 Kings chapter 21, in which Elijah is part of this story, but he's not the main character. We're going to consider Elijah's part in this story, but only briefly, as we're going to focus a lot of our time thinking about who I'd say is the main character in this story, and his name is Ahab, King Ahab, the king of Israel. And this king is one who did not acknowledge and did not worship God with his life. And considering Elijah, he was an enemy to Elijah. So if you turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 21, if you're not there already, we're going to be going kind of sections by section through this passage. So we won't read it just all at one shot as it's quite long, but we'll make our way through the text and consider each verse. And as I said, King Ahab, I would say, is the main character, but he's not the only main character. And we're going to see in 1 Kings chapter 21 that the other main character is not Elijah, but it's God. So we're going to be considering King Ahab and God for the most part from 1 Kings chapter 21. 
So as we come to 1 Kings 21, we will see that this is a story that isn't so much about Ahab's sin and eventual repentance as it is a story about the justice and the grace of God. Again, this is a story that isn't so much about Ahab's sin and eventual repentance as it is a story about the justice and the grace of God. So we're going to take this story in four sections. We're going to consider first Ahab's desire. Then we're going to look at God's response to that desire. Then we're going to look at Ahab's repentance. And then we're going to look at God's response to that repentance. So we'll look at it in four sections. And we'll begin with the first, Ahab's desire. And this section covers over half of 1 Kings chapter 21 as Ahab's desire is seen in 1 Kings 21, 1 through 16. And we ultimately see that this story begins with Ahab's desire for a garden. So look with me at 1 Kings chapter 21, and we'll read verses 1 through 4. It says this, Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel, beside the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. And after this Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. So I'd like us, as we read the first four verses, to consider a contrast between the two characters that are first mentioned. First, there's Ahab. And Ahab has a desire for his neighbor's vineyard, or another word for it is a garden. Ahab is willing to do anything for this garden. He's willing to pay way over price for it, or even he offers a better vineyard so that he could have Naboth, his neighbor's garden. So we can see very simply that Ahab wants this garden a lot. Ultimately, we see his desire when the owner of the garden, Naboth, says no. Ahab doesn't just go find another garden. He doesn't respectfully turn away from Naboth as he refuses. He doesn't move on and forget about this. But he mopes back to his house very upset and grieved because he didn't get what he wanted. You think of a young child in the grocery store whose parents refuse to buy him something and they have a temper tantrum. That's Ahab right here. And then consider Naboth. Naboth is the next door neighbor to the king. He owned a garden next to the king's palace. And one day the king comes to him and asks if he could have this garden. This had to be tempting. But Naboth responds this way. He says, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Naboth refuses. He does not meet the king's request. But if you look again, we see that it isn't because he dislikes the king or because Naboth is rebellious and doesn't uh, respect the king or because the king offers too little or even because he likes his garden, but his answer is rooted in the will and the commands of God. And as it says, Naboth responds and he says, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. I don't think this means that God came down and told Naboth personally, that he should not give up this garden. But I think Naboth knows the law 
in the Word of God. And you don't have to turn there, but just consider with me two passages that lay out for the people of Israel uh, this forbidding to sell their land. Leviticus 25.23 says, The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. Also, Numbers 36, verse 7 says, The inheritance of the people of Israel shall not be transferred from one tribe to another. For every one of the people of Israel shall not shall hold on to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. So most likely this is what Naboth is referring to when he says that the Lord forbid him. He's going back to the word of God and he's finding the command in there. So we see Naboth refuses Ahab to uphold God in his will. He's unwilling to disobey God for the king. And if you consider it and you think of the outcome of such a refusal, even though disobeying God would have meant riches or even a greater product, if he refused, uh, he may have been in prison. He may have been put to death. And you even think Ahab was willing to pay way more that this, than this garden was worth. He could have really provided for his family in a great way. But yet, Naboth turns down the king's offer and he obeys God. So consider the contrast that we have right here in the beginning of our text between Naboth and Ahab. Naboth is concerned about the will of God. Ahab is concerned only with his own will. Naboth seeks the desires of God. Ahab seeks only his desires. Naboth delights in the law of God and obeying it. Ahab grieves God's law and is upset when someone follows it. Naboth upholds the word of God. Ahab is disappointed when the word of God is upheld. And then lastly, Naboth is a man of God. And I would say from this passage alone, but the ones even come, that come before it, Ahab is far from God. We move on in our story and we find a new character enters. Look with me at 1 Kings 21, 5 through 7. Verse 5 reads, But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So it's Ahab's wife who comes onto the scene of this story. And if you think about often, I'd say for us, we enjoy seeing a marriage in which the two, the spouses, are very close, who work together, who care for each other, who value the same things. That's Ahab and Jezebel right here. Yet they are missing something crucial, and that is God. They are far from God, and not only worship other things, but they oppose God. Ahab summarizes his desire and request that was made to Naboth and tells of how Naboth refused. And if we think about Jezebel for just a moment, Jezebel is an interesting character. And if you know what has come before um, this passage for Jezebel, it shows that she is an interesting character. Back in 1 Kings 18, we see that it was Jezebel, not Ahab, who hunted down the prophets of the Lord. In 1 Kings 19, we see that it was Jezebel, not Ahab, who made the death threat against the life of Elijah. 
And now we see it, Jezebel, see that Jezebel, not Ahab, is the one who acts against Naboth. So Ahab, he may be wicked, he may be evil, and an idolatrous king, but we see that his queen is his backbone. She stands behind many of his actions. She is ultimately the one in control and leading the kingdom of Israel, even though she's not on the throne. Jezebel tells her husband that there is no, we, no need to worry. She will get him his garden. Our text next reveals her plan and its fulfillment. If you look with me at verse 8, and we'll read to verse 10. It says, So she wrote letters to Ahab in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people, and set two worthless men opposite him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. Well, we ultimately see that the plan of Jezebel is fulfilled exactly as she had planned which is described in 1 Kings 21 and in the upcoming verses 11 through 14. We see Jezebel made a plan against Naboth to wipe him off the scene, and it happens exactly as she planned. And I don't know about you, but when I read this, and I, I remember reading this uh, prior to studying this passage, but when I read this and what Jezebel has plotted, and then ultimately it's fulfilled, I think of how gross unjust, unfair, how sad of a thing that took place in the life of Naboth. Also, I cannot help but think of how evil, wicked, sinful, selfish, uncaring of a person would ever do such a thing for a garden. Jezebel was such a wicked, evil, and sinful woman who had no care for human life. If it meant being able to serve her husband, she was all in. If it meant that she was able to control and manipulate a situation, she was all in. She was even willing to go so far as murder to fulfill the desires of her husband. And even more so, when we think about the innocence of Naboth, even the righteousness of the man who was unwilling to turn on God's command for the king, we're not told, but if we consider if he had a wife and children, they're now left without a provider and without land. His wife, his children, the people of the town would be left to wonder, did Naboth really curse God and the king? What an injustice that was planned and fulfilled by the queen of Israel. So we see Jezebel's plan is fulfilled perfectly. And now it's time for her to let her husband know. Look with me at verses 15 and 16. They read, as soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. So Jezebel gets her husband exactly what he wanted. And now we get Ahab's response. We may, may have questioned, will Ahab be upset that it cost a life for him to get this garden? Will Ahab be furious that Jezebel forged his name? Will he even be more grieved because of the lengths that Jezebel went to get him what he desired? And we get Ahab's response in verses 15 through 16. 
And we see his response is just as gross, just as heartless as his wife. Ahab gets up immediately and goes to the garden to take what now belongs to him. Though Ahab is not the mastermind, nor did he personally retaliate, we get to see his true heart in how he responds, that he has no care for this human life that was cast off the scene so that he could get his garden. This is a king who's willing to treat his citizens like pawns, whom he is willing to sacrifice so that he got what he thought he needed. I think this ultimately, this, this couple, Jezebel and Ahab, it shows us a very gross picture of how sin, how far sin can go. At the end of verse 16, we are left with a picture of how sinful and depraved and ugly sin is. How unfair and unjust life can be. We're left with a couple who literally got away with murder and got exactly what they wanted. But we see that our story does not end there we get God's response. And specifically, we're going to look at 1 Kings, 7, 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 17 through 24, to see God's response. And specifically, we get the response of God in the form of him delivering a message to Elijah, in Elijah delivering it. So look with me at 1 Kings 21, verses 17 through 24. It reads this way, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up, and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free, in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel the Lord also said, The dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. So here in the words of God, we see the justice of God. We see God planning punishment for what Ahab had done. Again, by God's justice, I mean God giving Ahab what he deserves. In verse 19, God calls out Ahab's sin. And then we see in the second half of verse 19 and verses 21 through 24, we get the punishment. We get the consequence, the result of disobeying God in such a way. After what was done to Naboth, I think we would all certainly shake our heads in approval at God's punishment for Ahab. God sees to it that justice is served that sins are repaid and punished. So we've looked at Ahab's desire and then God's response to his desire and its fulfillment and we learn of God's justice, his bringing punishment on sin and how he views sin. But now I want to flip to our third and fourth sections of this text. And I think we find a very interesting and even maybe perplexing occurrence that happens in chapter 21. 
We come to our third section and we find Ahab's repentance. And this comes specifically in verses 25 through 27. But before we get to his repentance, we get a side note concerning Ahab's sin. If you look with me at verses 25 through 26, it says, There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like Ahab, whom Jezebel his wife incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. So just in case we forgot how wicked of a man Ahab was, the author of 1 Kings reminds us. With what is said here makes what is about to be said in verse 27 even more amazing. So look with me at verse 27. It says, And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. So at first, this seems like Ahab's acting the same exact way as he acted in the past. Think about his reaction to not getting Naboth's garden. He acts the same exact way. He's saddened by it. It said that he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. Even in 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 43, we see Ahab acted this way. It says, And the king of Israel, which was Ahab, went to his house, vexed and sullen, and came to Samaria. So what we have in verse 27, at first, seems like Ahab is acting just like he has. When he doesn't get what he wants, he's upset. But what our text says next should lead us to consider if there is more to Ahab's disappointment. And we get our fourth section, God's response, in verses 28 through 29. So look with me at verse 28, and we'll see God's response to Ahab's repentance. Verse 28. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days I will bring the disaster upon his house. So we get God's view of this. We get God's view, the one who knows the heart of men, we get his view on how Ahab is acting. And God's view and his perspective is not that Ahab's acting just like he has in the past, not that he's just upset that he didn't get what he wanted, but he says that Ahab has actually humbled himself. He's humbled himself. That Ahab wasn't just saddened that he didn't get what, he's, what he wanted, but not that he's just saddened that he's getting in trouble, but he was placing himself under God, realizing his sin and wrongdoing. This word humbled, as you can see in our text in, verses, in verse 29, is repeated twice. And this is the same word here in the, in the original language. And this word humbled is mentioned several times in the Old Testament. And sometimes it just speaks of a defeat. It speaks of be being brought low because of a defeat. But I don't think that seems to fit here. And another use of this word, humbled, is the word that we, the word that we have, which is repentance. That Ahab actually repented. Due to the context, I believe we can see repentance as the meaning for this word, humbling, Again, as it's mentioned twice, that Ahab is humbling himself before God. Again, in verse 29, it says, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? And then it says, Because he has humbled himself, 
before me. So he's humbled himself. He's not just saddened, but he's humbled himself before God. And then secondly, I think we can take this, this view that Ahab is actually repenting here in that God lifts the punishment from him temporarily. So as you read this, and I know as I've read this story before, a question comes to my mind, and I ask, can Ahab, a man who served idols, who opposed God and killed the innocent, be saved? Has Ahab come to faith in God? And as I ask that question, my mind immediately goes to two other kings that we have in the scriptures. One who may have had an even more evil resume than Ahab is King Manasseh. And King Manasseh was King Josiah's grandfather. And interestingly enough, Manasseh is said to have humbled himself. The same word humbled, just as Ahab did. Manasseh appears in the scripture in two places, and we won't turn there for sake of time, but in 2 Kings, he's mentioned, and his repentance is not mentioned at all. We're just given the evil things that he did. But in 2 Chronicles, in the 33rd chapter, his repentance is mentioned. And it says this about King Manasseh. It says that he humbled himself. And more specifically, it says that he knew that the Lord was God. And King Manasseh is then later to sh showed to have a huge transformation in how he lives after he humbled himself. The other king that comes to mind when we consider if Ahab is really saved is King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. After the Lord turns him into a beast for several years, King Nebuchadnezzar declares his praise and his worship of God. We have these wicked kings who turn in some way to God. So we ask the question, was Ahab saved? Did he have true faith in God? Like we might question about these other kings. Well, for one, we certainly can say Ahab repented like he never did before in verse 27. I don't believe he was merely acting as if he uh, was humbling himself because God even says he repented. But what I do think we can conclude concerning Ahab is that Ahab's repentance was temporary. It was for a moment. As we see in the next chapter, he again is living for his own desires. He again is not submitting to the word of God. But what I'd like us to consider even more so over the question if Ahab was saved or not is the character of God that we see in this passage. The character of God that is revealed in this story. We might look at God and say, what in the world are you doing with Ahab letting him off so easy? This is a man who allowed an innocent man to be killed so that he could have a garden. We might question God and say, this is a man who led a whole nation into idolatry. This is a wicked and terrible king that God just left off the hook. What are we to make of God here? And what I think we have here is we have on display side by side with God's attribute of justice, we have his attribute of being great, a gracious God. Side by side in this passage, we have God's justice, as we've already seen, and now we see God's grace. God relents from the punishment that Ahab certainly deserved, showing us that God is a God of grace. We learn that God is willing to forgive those who have sinned against him when they turn to him in repentance. We learn that God is willing to treat people how they do not deserve. As we consider God's grace, 
I would say there's two ways in which I want to challenge us this morning that God's grace should affect our own lives. The first way actually involves Elijah. We haven't really discussed Elijah much. Reason being is because the text doesn't really mention Elijah too much. But I want you to think, what would have Elijah's reaction been to this? God comes to Elijah, and it's Elijah who he says, Elijah, look, you see Ahab has humbled himself. Ahab has actually repented. We're not told of Elijah's reaction, but we certainly are left to wonder, wonder what Elijah thought of all this. Elijah was an enemy of Ahab's. Elijah, who probably wanted to see Ahab shut down as much as anyone. Elijah, who had his life threatened by Ahab's wife. Elijah most certainly was cheering on God as God sent punishment for Ahab, as God condemned Ahab to the punishment. But now, what would Elijah think concerning God's grace? Concerning God not punishing Ahab during his time, but in his son's time. And simply, we're not told. But maybe we could consider uh, the response. Maybe the response was similar to the prophet Jonah, which many of us are familiar with that story. We're told of Jonah's reaction when God turns from punishment and forgives the wicked and repentant city of Nineveh. Jonah couldn't believe it. He actually wanted to die because of God's forgiveness. And I think we need to consider ourselves this morning. Though we're not given an Elijah's response I think so too, maybe you, we can consider if we have those in our lives whom we've given up on. Maybe you have those who you have lost hope for that they would turn to the Lord. Or you believe that there are too, they are too far from deserving forgiveness. Maybe you can think of people whose sins and their lifestyle and you believe they are beyond forgiveness. In one sense, you're right in the sense that they don't deserve it. But you are completely wrong if we begin to start to think that people are beyond God's forgiveness. If God couldn't save them, that God couldn't forgive them, that God couldn't act merciful to them. Just think about your actions towards these people. Whom have you been treating in such a way that shows you have given up on them? Or think about your attitudes towards some unbelievers in your life. Do your thoughts give away the fact that you see them as beyond God's forgiveness? And I think 1 Kings 21 should teach us a very important lesson that God can save anyone. God can take the most wicked, most sinful human beings and bring them to repentance and faith. He can transform the ugliest heart, the heart that is hardened, the life that has sinned a million times, the one whose life has hurt many, the murderer, the thief, the outcast, the one whose life is a mess, God can save. 1 Kings 21 should be a challenge for us to go to these people and share the gospel with them, to share the news of God's forgiveness and mercy towards them no matter what they have done, to offer the life to them that abides by the word of God and lives to please and honor God. So that's the first way that I think God's grace should take effect in our life. But the second way is slightly different. As we consider the second way that God's grace should impact our lives, I want you to consider this story and think, which character is us? So think about the characters that we've looked at. Who should we relate to the most in this story? Think about it for a moment. Are we Naboth in the story? Are we Elijah? 
or I believe the character that we most relate to is Ahab. We were sinful and wicked. We lived a life contrary to God and his word. We had hurt others. We did, des- we did not deserve the forgiveness and mercy of God. We were condemned. We were destined for punishment. But God forgave us. God let go of our sins. God saved us through the blood of Jesus Christ. God showed his grace to us by offering his son to take our place, a death we deserved, and forgave us of our sins. When we consider our beginning question, is God just or gracious? Jesus is where we see these two attributes working out in harmony. In one sense, Jesus covers the punishment that we deserve. Jesus satisfies the justice of God while also extending to us the grace of God. Jesus provides something we do not deserve. The cross shows both God's justice and God's mercy. You can turn there if you'd like, and this will be the last passage that we look at, and we'll flip to the New Testament. In Romans chapter 5, verses 16 through... Sorry, again, that's Romans 5, and we'll be looking at verse 6 through 11. This illustrates exactly what we see here with God. We see both attributes in the person of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11 shows God's justice and God's grace. It reads this way, starting at verse 6 of chapter 5. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for, the, for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So again, we see in the cross of Jesus Christ, we see both God's justice and God's grace. And again, I think it's helpful to consider that we are Ahab in this story above anyone else. So this story should challenge us to praise God for the salvation that we have only because of him, to give thanks to him for the forgiveness that we enjoy daily, though we do not deserve it, to glorify the God of grace, the one who shows us undeserved favor. God has treated us how he treated Ahab. God has shown grace to us, yet at the same time, fulfilling his justice. So 1 Kings chapter 21 is a story that shows both the justice of God and the grace of God. How God hates sin. How God punishes sin. But also, how God is willing to forgive sin and treat the sinner in a way that is undeserved. If they turn to him and own up to the sins they've committed. 1 Kings 21 displays both the justice and the grace of God, not competing attributes as we talked about in the beginning, not opposing characteristics, but they are balanced within our almighty God, especially as we consider his death on the cross. Let us close in a word of prayer. Lord, I just thank you 
for your word. And Lord, I thank you for just specifically the things that your word shows us about yourself as we consider your attributes. And Lord, there is so many things that we can worship and praise you for. And this morning as we, we focus on your justice, the fact that you don't just let sin go, you don't just let us get away with it, Lord, but you have paid the penalty that we deserve. You have taken our punishment. And Lord, we thank you for the justice. Thank you for just the way in which you handle our sins, Lord. But God, I also thank you for your grace. Thank you for being a gracious God, a God who doesn't treat us how we deserve. And I thank you for just how this has been showed within the life of Ahab, a wicked man, a sinful man. But Lord, we just thank you for the way in which you show yourself through this story. And Lord, I pray that you would just continue to teach us about yourself. And Lord, I pray that these attributes, these characteristics that we learned this morning wouldn't just be something that would be within our head, something that we would know, but I pray that it would take effect in our lives. Lord, I pray that your grace would impact our lives as we think about unbelievers that we interact with in the workplace or in school or even within our families, how we treat them, how we think about them. And Lord, even as we think about our own lives and how you have showed your grace to us, just like you did with Ahab. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us as we consider these things and live out the truths of your word. And in your name I pray, amen.